2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13. I'm going to read for time's sake. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How bet, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blasphemy. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with him. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived, say perceived, that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Amen? You see, everybody in this house, in this church, wants to change. There's not one person in this property, or I would dare to say with all confidence in this world that don't have some area that we want to change. There's something we all want to change in some way or area in our life. We want to be better at certain things. It might be financially handling our money. It might be the, our relationships or how we communicate with other people. We might wish or pray or desire to learn how to treat people better this year. There's not a person here in this church house or on this property or in the world, I dare to say, who is so perfect that you don't wish you had to change something. If you don't want to change something, that means you think you're perfect. And I know nobody here is like that. We're stretching, we're reaching, and we're striving, knowing that we need help, knowing that we have some area to change, yet all the while we have a smile on our face, pretending everything is fine. Brother, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Amen. Ooh, baptized, Holy Ghost, you know. All the while at night, you're crying out to God. Why did I treat that individual like that again? Why do I still have anger? Why do I still want to hurt people when they hurt me? I still have these things in me that I want gone. Yet in front of everybody, we're smiling. Fix me, God, where I'm hurting. Fix me where I'm broken. 
fix me where I'm tired and depleted of energy because if you don't fix me fast, I don't know if I'm ever going to change. Have you ever felt like that? In our text here, you find David. You know, David was a mighty warrior, but we all know that David fell into sin with Bathsheba. Maybe she didn't fall into sin, but he did. She might have been a victim. And here Nathan comes and he tells him that God has proclaimed that the child must die. And so he's at an intersection of his life. He's at a crossroads of his life. He's at that point in his life. Yet here he is. He's been anointed king over Israel. He's been endowed with grace and power to do mighty things for the kingdom of God. He's been called and separated. He's been anointed, and yet here he is at a crossroads in his life. He was given power to do great exploits. He has been mighty in battle. He has whooped on the Philistines time and time again already. He has done big things. He was a warrior. He wasn't scared to fight Sister Rochelle, no matter how many sides they came at him. He knew how to stay cool. He knew how to command an army. He cut the head off of a giant and left that giant lying there as he's talking trash to him. There he goes walking as a little boy with a big head. <laughs> you catch that later. You catch that one later. He mocked this giant. He ruined his reputation. He has done a lot of good things. He moved into a big house. His whole life was changed. Yet on the other side, on the other hand, he had a lot of big time failures. He had a lot of failures that you can't imagine. He had moral failures, character failures, bad choices, bad decisions. He fell in love with another man's wife. He wanted her so bad that he killed her husband to get her. And now she's pregnant. Now she is pregnant, and you find David praying. You find David praying after the word of God came through Nathan that that baby has to die. That the product of his sin got to die. And that's where we find ourselves here. Nathan has pronounced death over the child, yet David don't want to accept it. David is trying to reverse the curse. And we find him at this intersection of his life asking God to fix it. He's asking God to change his mind. David knows that God is merciful. David knows how merciful our God is. He has, is, <laughs> excuse me. He has experienced the mercies of God over and over again on his life. Tell somebody mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Have you ever went to court? You know you deserve time, right? You might not have did that beef, but you got away with a lot of others. Come on. Tell the truth. 
You know, you deserve to do time and some of you deserve to be put away for life. You deserve to be put under the dumpster. But because you're asking the judge don't give you what you deserve, that means you're asking for mercy. And David has been on the receiving side of God's mercy over and over again. David knew the mercies of God. He's seen God forgive. A matter of fact, when it comes to repenting, when it comes to saying you're sorry and really wholeheartedly seeking God, David was the best. There was nobody better than David for repenting. You couldn't beat him. David was one of those kind of guys that just kept getting in trouble. When he was young, you probably would have said that travieso. You never knew what he was going to do next. Sounds like a pastor's kid. Uh-oh. You never knew what he was going to do next. Sometimes you're just ready to knock the dude out. What do I got to do? Then he start crying and repenting and the dirt around him would get full of water because of the tears and the mocos. You'd have to say, okay, I'm going to let you slide one more time. Don't do it no more. He was that kind of guy. That was David. Tell your neighbor, but this time, this time uh, when he prayed, uh, he didn't get no answer. It says that he laid flat on the floor. This mighty man of valor, this powerful man of God who brought down giants to their knees was lying on the floor, his face in the dirt crying face down in front of everybody who followed him. Oh, how are the mighty fallen? You see, it's one thing to come in here down and fall down. But it's another thing that when you're up here and you fall down, when you have status and you fall down. It's another thing, so to speak, when the rabbit has the gun. Here he is, a mighty man, falling down to the ground. He had once had it. Now it appeared to be lost. He had once known it. Now he can't find it. He had touched it, and now he can't taste it. He had tasted God and now he can't taste it he had God but now he can't find him that's a terrible painful place to be I have been to the mountaintop and now I'm in the desert he came so close to rising up and now the mighty king of Israel is laying down flat on his face head in the dirt crying before God for seven days, he's lying there crying to God. Seven days, he's crying to God. Lord, don't let this happen. He's working feverishly at trying to turn us around. He's not eating and he's not drinking. He fasted for seven days, facing the dirt to somehow save this baby who hasn't even been named yet.
You see, in the Bible, is mentioned of other people crying for babies. We've all seen people cry for babies. This baby was not yet. You seen Hannah cry. You seen Rachel cry. You seen Mary cry. But this is the first recorded time that we see a man crying. And it ain't just any man. This is a man that is strong. This is a man who has had a lot of battles. This is a man who had been conditioned to go through hard times and good times. But he's crying for this baby. You see him fall out and cry. He's never seen the baby. He's never met this baby. He's never touched this baby. And he hadn't even given this baby a name yet. And yet he's on the face crying for this baby. The man cried. This big mighty man is crying, God, save the baby. After this service, if you guys want to uh, 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 argue with me, uh, uh, I'll be at Pastor Paul Torres' house. Doors open. I'll discuss it with you where all this comes from. Okay? Some of your doctrines or whatever might be shaken here today. I'm not here to give a doctrine or break down in theology. I'm here to give you the word of God. All right? But I am going to try to teach you how to go into the word with a critical mind, perhaps, and look at different possibilities. Let's not be closed-minded. It's hard to say something. It's hard to hold on to something that God's trying to take away. It's hard to breathe life into something in your life that God's trying to kill. It takes a lot of energy to try to resuscitate something that has to go. We're wasting energy on fighting things that have to go when we can be using that energy for other things. Oh, God, keep it going. Oh, God, can I stay like this? But God's saying, no, it has to die. For seven days, David prayed. He prayed trying to save what God was trying to kill. I wonder if there's anybody here today who spent last year, maybe the year before, a decade, trying to save something that God's telling you has to go. It has to go. It has to go. Is there anybody here trying to hold on to something that God says, no, it has to go? Are you trying to pray on behalf to keep something alive in your life that God says, no, my son, that has to die? Hello? Well, let's don't go putting David down now. We like to do that sometimes. Usually when the message applies to ourselves. Don't go disrespecting him. It's hard when you're at a crossroad. Can I get an amen? It's hard when you're at these intersections in your life. There's some things that are going to come along or have come along that's just going to knock you alongside the head and take you for a wallop, man. Your knees are going to shake. Your brother used to tell me, Greg, you can take a knee, but get back up. 
You're going to drop at times. Don't stay down. Have courage. Don't quit. Don't run. There's going to be times that are going to knock you to your knees. So you got shook and get up. There's a lot of preachers out there that ain't going to tell you this. There might even be some here. Your heroes might not tell you this. But the truth of the matter is, there ain't no great man. There ain't no great woman that ain't never had her boots shook or her knees rocked or her chin hit or took in a knee. Ain't nobody, Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, Stevan Pineda, Chella, we've all been knocked. The difference is, when you get knocked like this, you start doubting yourself. You wonder, man, am I going to make it through? Am I really a Christian? Can I keep moving forward? I don't know where that child's going to get saved. Will I ever make a comeback? I was all full of the Holy Spirit. I was praying like a shakata yaraba shekete. And now I don't even feel like quoting the Our Father. I think this one here ain't got no comeback. That's how you feel when you get bomb-sided. He wonders if he's going to survive this. He's praying to keep something that God's trying to take. Like I said, don't be hard on me, ain't alone. The apostle Paul prayed three times for a thorn to be removed from his side. Three times he prayed, and what did God say? I'm not going to take it away from you, but I'll give you the grace that is needed uh, to carry it. Uh, I'm going to give you the grace that is needed, my son, uh, to go through it. I'm not going to let you keep it. Uh, I'm not going to take it away. Uh, I'm not going to change your circumstances. But what I am going to do is give you the grace. Uh, what do you do when you're asking for something that God is trying to take away. What do you do when you want to go left? But God's answer says to go right. What are you going to do when you're trying to save the life or something in you that God says must die? You're trying to keep what God's trying to take. Now, nah, let's don't judge him yet. Let's look at Jesus Christ. In the garden, Jesus said, Father, if thy will pass this bitter cup. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through what I'm going through. I don't want to go through what I got to go through to get where you want to take me. Hmm. I don't want to. I want to know you got closer. I want to know that you're a healer, but I don't want to get sick. Oh, Huh? Come on. Come on. I want to know that you're my provider, but I don't want to be broke. I should have a beat to that. I don't want to. I could feel it. Huh? I don't like the scene of slaughter, yet I still eat the meat. I don't like air pollution, but I still drive a car. Come on. 
I want to know that you're the way maker, but I don't want to get into a jam. I want to know. I want to have a great testimony like Pastor Paul, like Sister Gloria, like Sister Rochelle, like Sister... Forgetfulness. Beverly, Pastor Toby, Sister Debbie, Sister Yolanda, Pastor Manuel, Pastor Tony, Sister Janie. I want to have a testimony like these great sisters and brothers of this church. But I don't want to pay the price to get there. Huh? Oh, come on, somebody. I hope we're getting through. David was wrestling with the worst kind of fight. What kind of fight is this? Sister Rochelle talked about external battles, and that's what they were on the Old Testament, so to speak. But here in David, you see him fighting a whole nother kind of battle, the hardest and worst battle. David was fighting. He was good at fighting on the external. If you brought him a giant, he would kill it. You brought him an army, he'd destroy them. You give him a blade, and he'd get busy. What do you do when your greatest enemy isn't out there, but it's in here? Oh, God, when we can admit, when we can admit that I'm game to fight anything, I can handle a job. <laughs> That's the first battle you get when you get clean. I can handle the trials and struggles of marriage, perhaps. I can bring my check and surrender it to a wife. I can go without food and clothes for my children. I can do all these things. But the thing is that we have to be able to admit is that I have a battle inside of me. Oh, when we can start admitting these things. The fight I have is inside. How do you win this fight? How do you win this fight? You have swords and everything else to fight the external. How do you fight this fight? We see David fighting the fight of his life. He's down in the dirt. The battleground is here. The battleground, Sister Yolanda, what did you call it? The command center, the what? The brain, the mind is, uh, you said, some kind of center. And, and it looks like that's where everything happens. We think it's happening out here. But the real battleground, according to Sister Yolanda and Joyce Myers, it's in our mind. It's never in your circumstances. It's always in your head. It's never in your circumstances. It's always in your head. You can be mighty in your circumstances, yet you could be a mouse. In your head. Huh? Superman on the external and mighty mouse in your heart and in your head. You can give everybody else advice on what they need to do. But when it comes to your own situation, 
You can't get it together to save your own life. You can tell everybody else what they got to do in their home, but when you get home, you're flat on your face. You're crying to God. You're eating dirt. You ain't getting a breakthrough on what you're trying to save. You can give everybody advice. Sister, you need to cut him loose, but you can't cut nobody or nothing loose yourself. Oh, you guys like when I'm talking about somebody else, huh? Watch out, here I come. If it was a Goliath, I can kill it. If it was an external battle, I know what to do. The battleground's here. It's not a geographical location. It's not because you're in debt. It's not money. It's not haters. It's not enemies. It's not liars. It's not even backstabbers or backbiters. That's not the battleground. Stop wasting your weapons fighting what people say. Stop wasting your energy. We learned the other day that our weapons were what? Prayer and fasting. Stop wasting your weapons on what people are saying because it's not what people say about you that matters at all. It's what you say about you. It's what you say about you. Tell yourself you're a winner. Tell yourself you're more than a conqueror. It don't matter what your mama said about you. Don't matter what your wife said about you. Are you calling yourself a Christian? Uh huh. I, I heard women do this. I heard women. I heard. <laughs> 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 Woo. You'll never be defeated by what people say. You'll never be defeated by what people say. But you will get defeated by what you say about yourself the battleground is in my mind that's where the enemy fights it's in my head don't be looking at me saying I got a big battleground <laughs> it's a war that I have inside of me that's where the fight is you lay down with it at night after those are gone. You get up with it in the morning before you encounter anybody. You go to work with it on the car to the freeway. You have a hard time digesting your food because of it. And all the while, you're there smiling. Ding. Everything's cool. Amen, brother. You know, if I wasn't a Christian, amen. Uh-huh. You're there smiling in people's faces like everything is going all right, but yet all along those people are not aware that there's gunfire and bombs dropping inside of your head threatening to take you out all along. There's a war going on in your head and you're smiling to other people. They don't know what's going on. Seven days David is crying. Seven days he's on his face trying to save this child. He's the only man in scriptures up to that point that you see crying over a baby. 
You see Joseph crying, Joseph's daddy crying, but he was ready. He wasn't a baby. Perhaps the truth lies in the fact that maybe, here we go, hold your seats. Some historians suggest that maybe David was an illegitimate child. What? Shut up. I didn't say that. All right. But I think there is something far deeper going on in David than what you see there on the surface. I believe that there's something far greater, deeper going on than what looks on the surface. And I believe that it's something that if you trace his childhood, you would find the root of the issue. Didn't we hear something about pulling the root out? Sacramento, Pastor Eddie, pull the root out. Pull the root out. He said, Pastor Steve taught him to mow a lawn with a little hole instead of a lawnmower. Chucky, you see, they say that when they say in uh, chapter 69 that he says, read this on yourself, and I'll talk to you after service about it or whenever, that in sin did my mother conceive me. Some say that maybe she had an extramarital affair. Some say maybe she didn't have an affair, but she tricked her husband into sleeping with her because he was questioning his birthright. He was a Moab and under the Lady Ruth, but I don't want to get into details. But nevertheless, this boy grew up, man. This boy grew up not sure if that was his daddy. And the daddy probably raised him like he wasn't his own. Maybe he thought he was his own, but I'm going to tell you one thing about all the scriptures. You can see that his daddy, Jesse, treated him way different than he treated all his other brothers. I ain't saying that he was illegitimate. But I'm going to say that his growing up, they didn't instill love in him. They didn't instill what's necessary to grow a confident child. This guy grew up not knowing if he was loved. This guy grew up not knowing who he belonged to. This guy had deep-rooted issues. Read his psalms. Read his psalms. The guy had a lot of issues growing up. Could it be possible that maybe when Jesse looked at him, he said, well, yeah. Mama's baby, but mm -hmm. that shadow that was over David's life might be the reason why when Samuel came to anoint the new king and he told Jesse, bring your sons, that he didn't bring David. Was he a son or not? If he was, I'm not saying he ain't. He wasn't treated like he was. Did he look like his brothers? I ain't saying he wasn't, but I'm trying to tell you to look in his mind and in his heart what has been going on, the roots of issues and pain and misery and stuff, the gun battle that's going inside of him that you won't see when you read the surface of the Bible. Hello. And why do we have this mighty man of valor? crying over this baby that he never seen himself but maybe it's because he's seen himself in the baby poor child never had a chance huh? born out of maybe it kicked off his issues maybe it started having him trip on his childhood and everything else that led to behaviors and you don't really work as twice don't you don't you work twice as hard to save people just like you? Victory Outreach, don't we work twice as hard to reach the drug addict? 
Don't we re work twice as hard to reach the gang member? Why? Because we know how it is to have this past, and so we want to go out and we want to help other people like us. And here David's crying for a baby. No wonder David's laying on his face, eating dirt, saying, save the day, baby. I think he relates somehow. Perhaps he relates to the baby himself in more ways than one. Seven days he would not eat, and all the men around him, all the men around him came and saw him eat dirt. And the Bible says that they tried to raise him, and they couldn't. Have you ever been in, in a position so low that nobody can pull you out? Nobody can help you. Nobody can raise you. Nobody can say anything right to you. They can't lift you up. Nothing they propose has ever made you feel better. Why? Because what you're going through is your own personal hell. And they don't understand the thing that you're trying to say. They don't understand. They're saying just let it go. But they don't know the root goes deeper than that, that you're connected to it. Sometimes your history will determine the fierceness that you fight your future with. Sometimes your history determines the fierceness that you'll fight your future with. Break it down. I got to go quick. You have a future, a destiny of abundant life, of a blessed life, of a complete life made whole. God wants to bless you. But what happens, we're fighting our future. We're the enemy that's keeping us from an abundant life. We're the enemy of fighting a blessed life. Why? Because of our past. Our history will determine how hard we fight our future with. What I'm trying to tell you is 19, 2000, okay, 2016 is a new year, but that don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing if you're going to keep the old mind. I'm telling you that you can get a new car, but as soon as you drive it, you're going to have the old experience. You can get a new house, and that don't make a new marriage. You can buy a new outfit, and that don't make a new you. And if you think you're somehow magically going to be a new person, well, I hate to bear the truth. No, you ain't. A new life comes from a new mind. A new mind will produce a new way to look at things. Christianity is perspective. A new mind will show you a new way to look at things. Tell your neighbor, I need a new mind. I can't go into the next year this year with last year's mind. I can't step into my future and still think like I did in my past. I can't let the rumors and the stain about what they said about me destroy my opportunity. Tell your neighbor. And then they started whispering around David that the baby was dead. And that they better not tell David to say, hey man, the baby's dead. When he just thought the baby was sick, couldn't handle it. He fell on the ground. He started crying. He acted like a weird dude seven days. Imagine if we told him that he's dead. Huh? He ain't going to be able to handle this truth. Huh? He ain't going to be able to handle it. We tried to lift him up and he wouldn't. There are some in here 
that you're used to when you got in certain kinds of troubles, you would run to certain people. When you got in certain troubles, you would get on your knees and pray or fast it. But now you find you're in a situation that those things ain't working. That the things that you normally did ain't working. David had always got out of the trouble that he was in. God had always forgiven him and lifted him back up. But this time, the things that he usually done ain't working. Have you ever, man, thought maybe what's going on? I'm praying, I'm fasting, but nothing's working. The people that normally come to your rescue, they ain't coming. The people that usually lift you up, well, they're not coming through. Oh, thank you, sir. What did Chucky say? I'm going to baptize you at the same time. I'm going to bless you with the word. The things that normally give you power and passion, they ain't coming through. What do you do when what normally works ain't working? They said we try to lift them up, but we could not lift them up. And now we have to hide the truth from him because we don't think he can handle the truth. He's already tripping over bad. And then we told them that bad just got worse. But the Bible says that while they were whispering, David looked up and saw them whispering. And it says that he perceived. He perceived. He perceived that the child was dead. Perceived means that in his mind, he sensed that the child was dead. And that's what changed everything. Huh? He perceived that God, what God was trying to kill was gone. And that's what changed everything. Because if you can't change, uh, if you could change what you see, then you can change who you are. If your perspective can change, your future can change. Then you can live a life of change. If you can kill it in your head, if you can kill it in your life, if you can kill what you see, then your life can get rid of it and move on. You see, the calendar will flip no matter what you do. Year by year go by, I hear. I hear they start moving faster. They do. It can flip, but if it's still alive in your head, it ain't going to change your life. Time ain't the answer. It's letting things go. You see, if you're still bitter in your head on things and you're still thinking negative on things, then guess what? You're going to stay bitter and negative. You're just going to have a new calendar to look at, but you're going to have the same old conniving, hateful stuff that you had last year going into this year. You're still going to be jealous. You're still going to be insecure. You're still going to be cussing people out. And coming over here saying hallelujah. But if the clock strikes 12 and something flips in your mind. When the new year comes and something changes in how you see things. Then guess what? Uh, you're going to come into this new year a new person. What has happened in the past is going to stay there. Say yastuvo. Any, any Latinos in here? Any Chicanos? Huh? Nortonos? What does Yastuvo mean? Enough. That's it. Yastuvo. I'm leaving that junk behind where it belongs. I'm leaving that junk in the past. 
I'm not taking it into this year. This is a new year. Uh, this is going to be a new mind. But one thing I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to stretch forward, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead of me. Tell your neighbor that I got to get it behind me. Tell your neighbor, this is my year of destiny. I got to get it behind me. I got too much in front of me. I got a destiny. I got a life of abundance in front of me to let my past destroy it. I got to put it behind me. I got to get loose. I got to get free. I got to get over it. Every doubt, every fear, every worry, every anxiety, every burden, everything that has ever held you back. Tell your neighbor that everything that has kept you up at night, I'm going to let it go. Tell your neighbor, Yastuvo. I'm done with it. I got to leave it in the past. I got to cut it loose before I'm able to move forward into my destiny. I got to cut it loose and leave it in the past so I could do what God wants me to do. Tell somebody I'm cutting it loose. No, no, I didn't say cut her loose. Come on, I'm going to have to rewind. It ain't her. It's in your mind. I'm going to cut that loose. That's stopping me from loving her. Oh, somebody's going to leave today with a new wife. Somebody's going to leave with a new husband. Woo! Come on, love at the lake. We got some more rooms to sell. I'm going to be long because Pastor Tony gave me 15 minutes a long time ago. It's how my marriage teachings like this. I'm glad somebody taught me. We wouldn't be here today, honey. Huh? I wouldn't have been at her bedside crying. Huh? I wouldn't have been at her bedside praying. Huh? I'd have skedaddled away when they just said, count one, hup, hup, I'd have been gone. Sheesh, if I'd have known. But I wanted to get somewhere. I wanted to move forward. I was tired of my past. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, man. Tell somebody I'm cutting it loose. I'm getting ready to forget the things which are behind me to reach to those things that are before me. Hallelujah. It says that he reckoned. It says that he reckoned it to be dead or that he perceived it to be dead. That's the powerful thing in all of these scriptures. Your perception has everything to do with how this year is going to be for you. If it's going to be the same, your perspective don't change. But if it's going to be new, your perspective has to change. Your perspective has to change on what you see yourself in. It is what you perceive about you. You can come to me with all these prophecies and say, Pastor Greg, you're going to do might and greaty things. Uh, you're going to preach to thousands. Uh, there's going to be thousands of men's lives changed through you. You can tell me whatever you want, but if I still might see myself as a no good, sidewinding, two-dimensional, cardboard cutout, no good hoodlum, it ain't never going to happen. It's, I have to prophesize to myself. I have to speak the word of God to myself. I have to hear it in my head. I have to hear the encouragement that Sister Rochelle said in my head. That's what I got to hear. It's the word of God in my mouth that's going to. For as a man thinketh, so he be. 
And here comes the news that the child is dead. You see, prior to this, uh, David was on a downward spiral. He collapsed. He cried. He screamed. What was next? If you're there watching somebody going down like this, what's next? You're going to say, well, he ain't going to make it. That guy's probably going to skedaddle real quick, man. He's tripping bad. We can't save him. The next logical thing for him to be is that he's going to be gone. He's going to go down further. However, what makes this text is for no logical reason. In spite of what natural evidence says, in spite of what the odds say, in spite of what everybody else says, what makes this text powerful is when everybody else around him was expecting him just to crumble and die. It says, then suddenly, tell your neighbor, suddenly, today, in lives here, there's going to be a suddenly. I know that they're betting against you. I know that they said that you're never going to make it. I know that they said that you're never going to move on with your life. I know that you hear prophecies and stuff that you're going to be a pastor or an evangelist or a, a pillar in this church, and that's hard for you to see. But I'm going to tell you, as soon as you perceive that one is dead, you can start taking on the new life and the new prophecy about your life. And then suddenly it said that he rose. But I'm here to tell you something. The devil's a liar. Just when they're about to ring the last bell on you, dig a grave for you. AJ, you could come or whoever's playing, please. And Manny Ray got his hook out. When it looks like everybody thinks it's over, that's when God's going to turn it all around. You might think that you can't do it. Even you might be thinking. It don't take others to tell you. But you're thinking that you can't do it. Start seeing yourself that you can. See yourself that you can. Because that's when God's going to turn it around. Somebody's going to get transformed today. Somebody's mind is going to get transformed today. Somebody's mind is going to get renewed. What you think about yourself is going to get new today. What you think about others and what they do to you is going to get new today. Your belief system in God is going to get new today. Give God the praise. Thank God. Praise him. Praise him like your life's going to turn around right now. Praise him like the devil is a liar. Praise him like you're going to come out with a victory today. Praise him like you're about to make a U-turn in your life today. My marriage is going to get better. My serving God is going to go to another level. My teaching is going to get more elaborate, more thorough. I'm going to stop being selfish. And I'm going to start being nice to me. And start telling myself I can. The altars are open.